22, 1 Samuel chapter 22. This is the second time we've talked about this text because uh, we're kind of splitting it up. We talked last week about kind of the character of Doeg and uh, Saul has discovered that David has visited the priest and he's headed there to exact some revenge for him. Uh, for himself. And so we've, we're focusing on Doeg specifically. He's the Edomite that Saul has cozied up to, and he is an incredibly wicked man, as we kind of broke down last week. And tonight we'll see the depth of his wickedness. Now, the, w- what really condemns Doeg the most is his cruelty. And we're going to look, well, let's start reading here, go to verse number 11. We read the first half of the chapter last week. We'll do uh, this second half tonight. Then the king sent this is 1 Samuel 22:11. Then the king sent to call Abimelech, the priest. Um, uh, son, might get your Bibles right now. Um, then the, the king sent to call Abimelech, the priest, the son of Ahitub, and all his father's house, and the priests that were in Nob, and they came all of them to the king. And Saul said, Hear now, thou son of uh, Ahitub. And he answered, Here I am, Lord. And Saul said to him, Why have you conspired against me, thou and the son of Jesse, in that thou hast given him bread and a sword, and hast inquired of God for him, that he should rise against me to lie in wait, as at this day? Then Abimelech answered the king and said, And who is so faithful among thy servants as David, which is the king's son-in-law, and goeth at thy bidding, and is honorable in thine house? Did I then begin to inquire of God for him? Be it far from me, let not the king impute anything unto his servant, nor to all his the house of my father, for thy servant knew nothing of all this less or more. You understand, his very life's on the line here as he's talking to Saul, but he's trying to defend himself. We'll, we'll get into that in a little bit. And the king said, Thou shalt surely die, Abimelech, thou and all thy father's house. And the king said to the footmen that stood about him, Turn and slay the priests of the Lord, because their hand also is with David. Because they knew when he fled and did not show it to me, but the servants of the king would not put forth their hand to fall upon the priests of the Lord. So even the servants were not quite as far gone in insanity and wickedness as he was. And the king said to Doeg, Turn thou and fall upon the priest. And Doeg the Edomite turned, and he fell upon the priest and slew on that day fourscore and five persons that did wear a linen ephod. And Nob, a city of the priests smote he with the edge of the sword, both men and women, children and sucklings, and oxen and asses and sheep with the edge of the sword. Father, I pray to help us this evening. It's hard to apply a story like this to our life, but I pray that we would make that connection this evening. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. How we treat the men of God are, is important because it reflects our attitude toward God. And people with no respect for God or no fear for God will have no respect for his men either, his messengers, whether it be pastors. or And and I think that we still live in a society, thankfully, that uh, has some respect for priests and pastors and such. Um, you know the backwards collar? I've always been jealous of those those backwards collar. You know the, the white collar they wear with the black shirt? I wish somebody else wouldn't have snagged that up and we Baptists could jump on. I just think that's kind of a neat look, but I'm not going to do it. But anyway, they, they automatically garner some respect because they're men of God or seen as that. Uh, but look at verse 11. The king sent to call Luminic the priest and all the priests that were in Nob, and they came all of them to the king. So he gathered all the priests together, though Abimelech is the, Ahimelech, I'm sorry, is the only one mentioned by Doeg. 
And Saul is going to act the part of the judge here. Uh, in his jealous rage, of course, he's not interested in justice because he is full of jealousy and bitterness and anger. And jealousy is really kind of what I want to focus on tonight on the Saul end of it. Uh, how wicked of a sin jealousy is. Now, what jealousy does is it's... Uh, jealousy is like a magnifying glass. It takes really small things and it makes them really big. That's what jealousy does. Things that should not matter in the least. Some statement somebody makes or a look somebody gives. But if there's jealousy behind it, it will magnify that problem and people will get very bent out of shape over something that really is nothing. Uh, again, as I've mentioned before, spiritual people take a small problem and make it uh, or, I'm sorry, carnal people take a small problem, make it big. Spiritual people take a big problem, make it small, and, and, and be able to deal with it then. But things that should not or would not normally bother us, if we allow jealousy to set in, it will magnify it and make it worse. So, so Saul here, by the way, where did this all start? I was thinking about this today. Uh, where, where did it start with Saul, this jealousy and, and this, this murderous intent? He, he's willing to kill all these priests just to get to David. You know where it started? Trace it back when they started singing the song, Saul has killed his thousands, David his ten thousands. That's where it started. He could not stand somebody getting more credit than he did. And as soon as somebody started to, somebody else's light shine brighter than his, that jealousy started to eat him from the inside out. And now he's willing to kill anyone that might threaten his throne. Although, that's not up to him anyway. And it's not up to David, by the way, either. But like many evil rulers in, in every time uh, of mankind, Saul wants no living competitors. But who removed Saul? It wasn't David. It wasn't Ahimelech. It wasn't even Samuel. It was God who took the throne away from uh, Saul. And this is what we have to remember about this story and also about our life. A lot of times... Uh, God has decreed something or declared something or allowed something to come into our life and we take it out on people, even though it's not people, it's God that's behind it. Uh, people rarely acknowledge who their fight is with and so they fight people. That's why it tells us in Ephesians six twelve, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. People are not our enemy, nor should they ever be. We don't fight. We are not to fight people against people, especially not within the four walls of a local church. Amen. We should never uh, go at each other's throat. But carnal people fight people. They're always out, at, like like Saul was here. He's completely self-absorbed. He's filled with jealous rage, and so even though God is the author of what He considers His problem. He's fighting people. He's ultimately fighting God, but he's going after people. Look at the accusation in verse 13. Why have you conspired against me, thou and thou, the son of Jesse, in that thou hast given him bread and a sword, and hast inquired of God for him, that he should rise against me to lie in wait as at this day? This is a threefold accusation. First, the contributions. Uh, thou hast given him bread and a sword. Uh, David had to flee, and he was on the run, he and his men. He was obviously in need of food, and he felt he needed a weapon. And Saul was so self-absorbed and consumed with his own agenda that he didn't 
even consider it was just kindness to David, but he automatically looked at it as a conspiracy against him. Why is that? Because self-absorbed people make everything about them. It's all about them. So here's a random priest helping a random man, and it's because he hates me. Uh, and it wasn't connected to Saul at all, and Ahimelech's making that clear as he goes on. But here, this just somebody giving food to somebody else, it has to be because they're scheming against me. Self-obsession is a dangerous trait to, to, to a road to walk down. Second, the counsel. And hast inquired of God of him for him. By the way, what's so bad about that? You prayed for him. That's terrible, isn't it? Saul should have been glad one of his men is spiritual enough to inquire of God. But here, here's the thing we got to remember about wickedness and wicked rulers like Saul was and carnal and selfish and self-absorbed. What wickedness will do will always see righteousness as evil. They'll see evil in righteousness. Uh, we see that in our day today. It's one of the marks, really, of a declining society. When a football coach gets fired for praying with his team, and we could look at many different illustrations, but what wicked society and wicked leadership does is they see evil in righteousness. And when people are trying to live right, like I was talking Sunday, you don't, we, we don't have to do anything to make people hate. It wasn't actually here, was it? So I can bring it up again. <laughs> We don't have to do anything to make people hate us. All we have to do is just live for God. That's all we have to do. And people are going to hate us because uh, wickedness sees evil in righteousness. That's why Isaiah 5.20, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, and put darkness for light and light for darkness, and put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. And then third, he talked about, he uh, accused him of a conspiracy. Why have you conspired against me? Thou son of uh, thou and the son of Jesse. This was a ridiculous charge. Again, Saul's the one conspiring against David. David has never conspired against him. He's not lying in wait to do Saul harm, as we'll get to later. You know the story already. There's two opportunities he has to do that very thing, and he doesn't. But Saul, like last week we talked about, uh, suspected others of doing what he does. That's what people do. They project their sin on other people. So thieves don't trust any. That's why that phrase, there's a, no honor among thieves. Thieves don't trust anybody because they're not trustworthy. Gossips think everybody's talking about them. Uh, people that are angry are quick to think other people are angry with them because we, we tend to project our sin on other people. And Saul's the one that is doing what he's accusing these people of doing. The accus I think it's kind of interesting. He didn't ask him if he did. He said, why did you? That's like the, you know, uh, how do you feel when you beat your child? You know, it's not saying, do you beat your child? It's, it's uh, assuming that you do something. And it's, it's interesting how I went. So he's already convicted him. He's already, uh, he's already convicted him in his own heart of being guilty. He doesn't say, did you conspire against me? Why did you conspire against me? Well, he didn't conspire against him, but you already see that the, Saul's mind is made up and uh, it, there's no going back on it. He is so consumed with selfishness and revenge that he blames innocent people for his problem. Where he went wrong, he sinned, he did wrong. God took the kingdom from him because of his actions, and he's wanting to hold other people accountable. Man, again, as I was praying about earlier, it's hard sometimes to take a story like this and apply it to our life, but we do that all too often. When, when we are the, to blame, it's so easy 
to look out, outside and look for someone else to blame. Selfish people always blame others. I'm counseling. Uh, in, in counseling, there's, there's, there's certain people that are absolutely impossible to help because they never look inward. It's always everyone else's fault, never their fault. When I can look at, you know, and everybody else can kind of go down the list, you've done this, you've done this, you've done this, or you could change that. But no, no, it's never their fault. By the way, the search for someone to blame is always successful. You'll always find someone to blame if that's your search. So the first thing I find it interesting, Ahimelech, the first thing he does is defend David. Now this is because he's a decent man and he's a good man. And he jumps, uh, it, it kind of jumps out in the middle of Saul's selfish behavior. But Ahimelech did not at first defend himself. He first tries to exonerate David. He mentions three things about David. First of all, in verse 14, the steadfastness of David. And who is so faithful among all thy servants as David? Uh, he's lifting up the character of David. He's more faithful and trustworthy than any of the other servants. I can kind of picture Ahimelech looking around at the servants around Saul right then. He's a lot more faithful than these jokers are that are with you right now. You know, that's basically what he's saying. Uh, what, for example, what a contrast David was to Doeg, as we saw last week with Doeg, and as we'll see even more with what he does. Secondly, not only the steadfastness, but the son-in-law position. Which is the king's son-in-law? He's your family, Saul. Why would he try to take a conspiracy out against? He's in your family. And he's trying to bring this out again. Third, the status of David. He goeth at thy bidding and is honorable in thine house. The word uh, translated bidding there, means subjects, bodyguard, listeners, obedient ones. Uh, David had high status in Saul's court. He was known to be faithful and obedient to Saul. Uh, he was given honorable positions. In other words, Ahimelech is telling Saul, this man is a friend, he's not a conspirator. After defending David of the charges, then he now tries to defend himself. Look at verse 15. Did I then begin to inquire of God for him? Be it far from me. Now, again, not that there was anything wrong with inquiring to God for David, but he said, I didn't, for the record. Uh, I did not do that for David. And this was a false charge, and so he denies it. And Doeg, again, simply made it up because that's what accusers do. And we talked a little bit about that last week. But people who go out the, uh, about the business of accusing others do not need truth or facts. Truth and facts do not enter into the universe of an accuser. They just throw accusations out. Uh, by the way, those who constantly accuse others are often guilty of what they're accusing others of. Very often that's the case. Uh, so what do you do when you are accused? That's a, I don't know if you've ever been in that situation. I have. Uh, it's the best response is usually silence because again, truth and facts don't enter the picture. And the, the thing that we automatically want to do is start spewing out truth or facts. And truth or facts, they don't, they don't matter to uh, people who just want to accuse others. Accusers are not fact seekers. Here's a, a, a hard fact that's true. Some folks try to destroy others with a lie when their lives could be destroyed by the truth. Um, maybe you've never been in this situation before, but uh, I, I found myself in this situation a few years ago when... Uh, receiving uh, heavy accusation um, on behalf of someone else while I'm sitting on information that would destroy that someone else and the only, and I, I'm not going to use it. That would be unethical, but it would be fun. It would be easy, wouldn't it? 
The flesh is like, oh, 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 you're saying that about me? What do you hear about them? But I just bit my tongue and just took the accusation. And because, again, facts don't, wouldn't have really changed anything in their hearts, but it would feel good to do. And, and if we're going to follow our feelings in an accusation-type situation, it's usually not going to lead us down the right path. So in, in the, uh, in, when we're getting falsely accused, usually the best thing is just silence. And uh, prote- there is going to be times you need to protect your testimony, but don't let a false accusation make you quit, ever, ever, ever do that. Second, he talked about the injustice. Let not the king impute anything unto his servant, nor to all the house of my father. So he falsely accused the priests, and Ahimelech's trying in a very discreet way uh, to tell Saul, stop this accusation business. You're not going down the right path here. But of course, Saul did not listen. He plows on. This is the way of accusers and self-absorbed people like Saul. They're bent on destruction. They're not deterred by truth or warnings. And when people falsely accuse you, of something, please remember they are planting seeds of poison in their own souls. Just you keep doing what's right. You keep your peace of mind. You keep, uh, you'll survive it. You'll continue on. And, and again, I take no joy in it, but a lot of times the people that are accusing and, uh, they're the ones that are, that are going to suffer for it in the end. And, uh, we just need to keep doing right. By the way, here's another point. If you get accused of something that's true, don't defend yourself. Change it. You know, that's happened for me too, <laughs> where I've got accused of something that's true, and you don't defend that, amen, if it's a bad thing. So uh, that's something that's really hard to do. Um, you, you're such and such to say you're absolutely right. Pray with me about that or something. That's hard to do, but it takes humility. And third, he talked about his ignorance. Thy servant knew nothing of all this less or more. Of course he didn't know about it, because it's made up. Saul made it up. It's, these are all trumped up charges. Uh, everyone could say the same thing. They didn't know about it because there was no conspiracy. The idea was all in Saul's head. It had nothing to do with facts. He's plotting and conspiring to kill David. David has done nothing to do that to him. How frustrating it is dealing with irrational people. And Saul is completely irrational here. He's, I, I think... Personally, as I read the story of Saul, I think he's, he's slowly going insane is what's happening. Because as you see toward the end of his life, he, he exhibits a lot of insanity behavior. But uh, he's certainly being completely self-absorbed and irrational. Ahimelech's trying to talk some sense into him here, but it, it, it's not working. Then he said in verse 16, he pronounces his death. Thou shalt surely die, thou and all thy fathers. This is absolutely unjust. It's cruel giving the death penalty to these priests, and the verdict was rendered without any facts, just what was in Saul's mind and his head. He, he did not prove of any of the accusations he gave, but that did not bother Saul. Uh, he was a wicked man. He was filled with vengeance. He had a jealous heart. And when you put those explosive ingredients together in a person, Katie, bar the door, because something's going to blow up, and that's exactly what happened here. He's about to do the unthinkable, killing priests. That's insane uh, to think of doing that. And why? Because he allowed himself to get filled with jealousy. That's an amazing thing to me, how far jealousy can take you. Because it just, it started with Saul the way it can start with all of us. Yeah, it ended up, I doubt anybody in here is going to go into the 
preacher-killing business. I hope not. Uh, by the way, Pastor Nick and I go armed most of the time, and Pastor Forsberg knows Kung Fu, so you don't want to come and, and uh, attack us here. In fact, if you do want to go after preachers, I might have some names for you. But anyway, I won't go there. Um, but uh, Ahimelech, he goes further than that even. He's the one being accused, but all the priests, he sentenced them to die. Evil has no compassion for the innocent. You'll, you'll find that, you know, talking about jealousy and, and uh, like Saul here, the accusation, um, people can easily get to the point where they're only concerned with appeasing their own passions. And it does not matter who gets in the way. It doesn't matter who the victims are. It doesn't matter how many people are strewn out behind them. They're just determined to get their own way and press their own agenda. And this is where Saul's at. And this is a dangerous place. And I'm trying to say tonight that we can get there very easily. All of us, we're all susceptible to this. In fact, the Bible talks about, well, we'll read that verse in a little bit, but you know the verse about the root of bitterness in, in Hebrews. So, we, we could say tonight that we would never get to this point. Maybe we wouldn't, but if we allow jealousy... Envy and bitterness, it'll take us further than we want to go. I promise you that. Saul gives the reason for it in verse 17, his sentence, because their hand also is with David. Look how irrational he is. Saul has this phobia that everyone is involved in a conspiracy about him. Remember just, re just a little bit before this, he accused all his servants earlier in the same chapter here. He accused all his servants of being in on it. Now he's accusing the priests of being on it because everybody's out to get him. That's what we call paranoia. And, and again, part of that insanity that he's heading towards, uh, man, you let Satan in. It's, it's, uh, it's not a good thing. Because he comes in, you know, you allow him to have entrance into your life through hatred and jealousy and envy and all those things. It'll lead you to places you do not want to go. So in verse 17, he orders to kill him. The servants had enough sense not to lay their hands on God's men. They knew this command was outrageous. You don't have to be a genius to know this was a bad idea to kill all God's men there. It's interesting that these servants had some respect for God in their life. I don't think it was the killing that bothered them, but the fact that they were killing priests. I think that that's what they drew the line here. Anyone with a conscience has some respect for a preacher or a, you know, a man of God. You know, I don't, I don't agree with what Catholic priests would teach or preach, but there's still an inane respect in our heart for leaders of, uh, of um, churches and such. I remember bus calling in, in the Lansing ghettos. We, had, we were in a really bad neighborhood. Um, my wife and I would visit her. She had Sunday school class, and she saw some things. And, uh, we would go into this neighborhood, and I remember I would get out of the car, and uh, it smelled like weed and looked like everybody wanted to hurt me. And, uh, you know, as you look, but then as, as I would introduce myself and who I was, uh, it was amazing. I got more respect in in just the ghetto criminal ghettos of Lansing than when I went to the posh side of town. Uh, they had a respect for preachers, and I had one time I had two guys following me about uh, about three houses back. They would just stop when I stopped and made a call, and then they would follow me back. And, and people would uh, they would just that's the preacher preacher coming, and you know they would announce it, and so that I would be safe there. People have that respect. Saul certainly didn't. Um, Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So Saul had no fear of the Lord. 
These people had some fear of the Lord, which gave them enough sense to know this is a bad idea. And that's what it'll do in your life too, by the way. If you have a fear of God, the way that we should, a healthy respect, but I think fear does actually also mean fear. Hey, God could strike us down like that anytime he wanted to, amen? There ought to be some fear there, a little bit. Uh, I, I had a healthy respect for my dad when I was growing up, but I also had a little fear, especially when I did wrong. And uh, I knew what was coming. I rarely did wrong, but you know what I'm talking about. Um, that the guards would refuse to obey Saul's order and get away with it shows the weakness in Saul's authority. <laughs> because sin has so infected his leadership. That's, that's a pretty amazing thing right there. Saul, the king says, kill him. And like, no, no, we're not doing that. And nothing happens to them. Verse 18, and we'll finish up here. Then the king said to Doeg, turn thou and fall upon the priest. And Doeg the Edomite turned and fell upon the priest and slew on that day. He immediately, he was an Edomite at heart. He had no compunction with killing God's people. Eighty-five priests were killed that day. The city of Nob was attacked. The families of the priests were killed. The animals of the priests' families were killed. Babies were killed. Mothers. Uh, it, it, was a, everybody, it was just an absolute horrible slaughter. And all of this had its seed in things that we deal with in our life. Envy. Jealousy. That's where it started. And it grew and it grew and it grew. Now, the reason that it went so much further for Saul than it probably will for us is because he had a lot more power. We, we can't go as far as Saul did because we're not the uh, monarch of a country, okay? But within our parameters, we'll go a lot further than we think we can go. Bitterness and anger and jealousy will make you say things that you think you'd never say. It'll make you do things you think you'd never do. And so we need to be careful. Hebrews 12, 15, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, thereby many be defiled. Uh, this kind of leads me to, as I look at that verse, leads me to believe that the root's there. We just don't want it to be springing up. It doesn't say that a root might be installed in us, but that, that it might spring up in us. I really believe that as long as we have a flesh, the root's there. And the, we have, we all have the opportunity, we all have the, uh, the, the compunction, if you want to put it that way, to have that spring up and start to grow in us. And if we start feeding it, oh, you don't want to go down that path. I, I just, it's a terrible thing, terrible thing to be filled with jealousy. I don't know if you've ever had to deal with, uh, the, a jealous type, but that's a, it's a very, very unpleasant way to live, both to live with somebody like that and to live as somebody like that and it'll take you further than you want to go. It not only will destroy you, but it'll destroy many around you. That's why it means here by springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Where would that start? Well, it would start in your family. It would start with, your, uh, with the ones closest to you. If you are going to allow that root of bitterness and, and uh, jealousy, just like it did with Saul. Who did Saul lose first? He lost Jonathan, his son. Then he lost Michael, his daughter. Both of them sided with David. He lost his own family. And then it just kept growing and growing. He kept feeding it and kept feeding it and kept feeding it. And now he's killing priests. And he, by the way, it just keeps on going down for him. But that, it, we have to, as soon as we recognize in our heart 
a start of jealousy or envy. We've got to nip it in the bud. We've got to get rid of it, like Barney used to say, right, on uh, Andy Griffith's show. Nip it in the bud. That's what we've got to do. Get rid of it quick. Because we allow it to grow. It'll take you further than you want to go, I promise you. And uh, I don't want any of us to experience that. Thank you, Father, for showing us.